right, all right, all right. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Isn't it good to be here today? Come on, this is a day of victory, of celebration. Friday is the day when they crucify the Lord, but today is a day of celebration. A day of thanking the Lord for his good blessings, wonderful blessings, bright sunny day. You're breathing, you're here, you found parking for your car and for yourself here also. You have a nice parking spot right now. And God is good. Come on, tell your neighbor, God is good. You know, I don't know, some of you may or may not know, but our church journeyed through 9-11 when it happened. In fact, I remember that morning, um, I was coming into the office that Tuesday morning. Uh, I had just dropped off my younger son, Matthew, at school, uh, just a block and a half away from the, the Trade Center, and then drove back, and then I got here, and then I was downstairs. And at that time, Terry used to work for us, and Terry... Uh, took me outside, something happened, and we already know. It was not a, we thought it was a news helicopter, and then the second tower was hit, and it was just an incredible, crazy thing. And there are many things that are etched in my mind regarding that time, but one of them is the following. And I, I marveled at the way the NYPD and the fire department let their training kick in. Because I, I was a first responder, one of the first clergy down on that site. And I remember that there would be embers and smoke and things burning. And the natural human reaction was to run away. But I saw NYPD allowed their training to kick in. And rather than run away from danger, they ran to danger. Same thing with the fire department. Uh, instead of running away from the fire and the debris, and the ground was very unstable. I remember walking through the sidewalk because we were there from day one. You could feel the heat coming from the sidewalk uh, of the jet fuel that had poured all the way down. But the thing, one of the things that stays etched in my mind is the way the training of, of these brave men and women, many who died, and some that, by the way, are still suffering the consequences of breathing in all of that stuff. They went counterintuitive to what their nature was telling. Because you, know, you, you and I are cut from the same cloth. And that is when we see danger, we don't run to it. When we see fire, we don't run to it. When we see somebody brandishing a gun or whatever, we don't, I mean, unless you're all right, or, I mean, we're not all right, we run away. I mean, for even basic things, you know, very few people celebrate going to be operated on a surgical table. I know very few people that say, I'm going to the dentist, root canal, yes. <laughs> You know, that's our human nature is to run away. No one runs to pain. And yet I remember these brave men and women were running toward not only danger in the sense of pain to them, but also putting their very lives at risk. I want to preach to you today about triumphantly entering the city of Jerusalem, as the Lord did, knowing what was in the future. Jesus was about to walk in, and this is based on the book of John, you may want to go there in a moment. And Jesus was marching into the city. And you know, we, we know the story because Easter happens the same time every year. So we know the story. But I want to get to a place where beyond you knowing the facts of the story, him, him going into Jerusalem and he was on a, an animal of burden. And the people celebrated. And we're going to give palms before, as we close the service and all of that. 
I want you to get beyond the historical information. I'll share some of that, but more than that, the significance of what actually happened. And Jesus, knowing what was ahead, knowing the danger and the pain of the future, nonetheless, he marched in triumphantly into Jerusalem, the holy city, to fulfill the promises. And for you, those of you that are students, it's interesting because on that same day, at that same moment, Jesus was marching in through one of the gates of the city, and on the other side of the city, there was actually a monarch marching into the city as well because of the festivities. And I often found it such a counterpoint that here is this monarch when, you know, I'm picturing a, a stallion and, you know, all the regalia that they have and pomp and circumstance marching in with soldiers and all the noise and dust, and Jesus coming in on the opposite side of the city into the very same city and he was on an animal of burden, and no one was a a touting a horn announcing his entering into the city. What a counterpoint of humility and power, yet you and I know who actually won. Uh, and if you have any doubt about who actually won, make sure you come in next Sunday, and you'll see who actually won. And John is an interesting book, um, and he outlines for us this scenario. And I I'm not going to read all the verses, but I want to capture some found in chapter 12, verses 9 through 28, and I just want to pick some verses out and, and highlight for you some moments here because the Lord was going in and he, could, and I, I marvel, he was almost like, a, like an NYPD person, like an, almost like a, fire, you know, a firefighter, marching toward danger, knowing what was ahead, and yet he marched forward. Fully aware that this was already destined before time. This was actually his mission. This was actually what he had trained for and prepared for. Marching into the city, aware of what the end was going to be. And some of the people there, as you will see shortly, were totally unaware. But nonetheless, he kept going. It's like you and I. You're going through a, a moment where you're getting accolades and celebrations, but only you know what lay ahead, what possibilities are in the future, yet you keep marching forward. Follow me. One of the things I find fascinating in the text, and I'll read it for you, is verse 9 of this passage that I just selected, John. John 12, verse 9. Look at what it says. It says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, where in Jerusalem, about to enter, and they came, underline this, not only because of him, but because of Lazarus. And what comes out of this verse is the following. Some people went to Jerusalem not because of Jesus, but because they were addicted to miracles. Look at the text. And that applies directly to us. Too often, and it's sad, it's a sad indictment on the church. We live in an environment, in a church environment, that oftentimes we're not really pursuing Christ. We're pursuing the miracle. We're not really pursuing transformation. We might say that, or the great song, what we really want is this next thing on my list that I need you to take care of for me. I got into debt, but do some hocus pocus and get me out of debt. I messed up this relationship, but come down somewhere on, in the, in the uh, 90 minutes that we have on Sunday and bless me so that my problem is resolved. We get addicted to the miracle. Look at the text. They had heard about Lazarus coming back to life. And it says very clearly, and John, I love the way John writes. Let me tell you how John writes. John writes in the, in the end of the first century, about the year 90. 
And John, unlike the other Gospels, which are called synoptics, John is, is a self-standing Gospel. And he really only records about maybe a month of Jesus' life. That's the entire book of John. And he's uh, proposing to, to us Jesus already realized. Already realized. In other words, if you found him, you found it all. They, some call it, another aspect is uh, es uh, realized eschatology. You don't need to go further in finding evidence. He is everything contained in him. And the interesting thing about the way John writes, John is like a, a CNN reporter or a Fox News reporter. I don't know what your persuasion might be. A reporter, El Diario reporter, which simply what he observes, he writes. So there's no fluff in John's writing. There's no personal intent or twist in John's writing. He simply, like a scientist almost, observes, and he's reporting. So we, knowing that backdrop, now let's look at it very closely. So what he's really saying in this verse 9 is that the people came really to see Lazarus, not Jesus. Oh, yeah, Jesus happened to be there. And church, well, how does it apply to us? We need to stop looking out for miracles and the next miracle and the next miracle, and we need to be in love with the Lord as we sang the song before. We need to make our priority right. Easter is coming, but you know what? God is not interested in your latest garment that you can wear next Sunday. Or the fancy hat or the new shoes. That's wonderful. That's great. We'll say that's great. You're blessed. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We're not going to knock that. But that is not the reason. The reason to come to church is let's see what's going to happen there and what I can get out of it. No, 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 no. We gather here not because of miracles of Lazarus or what's the next thing he can do, but simply we come here to celebrate what he has already done in our lives. When you look back at that song, I never should have made it. I almost couldn't make it. Just the fact that we're here today is a, is a tremendous reason for us to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. Not the next miracle. Come on, praise the Lord with me for a moment. <clears throat> and, it, and, and you know what happens? Some continue to look for the fish and the bread to fill their bellies. Some continue to move forward in watching the dramatic spectacles. And you know what? Our relationship with the Lord has to be not with an audience or a group. It needs to be a relationship of one-on-one. -on -one. When you want to take, tell somebody something intimate and delicate, you say, can I talk to you aside for a moment? When I, when I want to whisper real nice endearments I don't, uh, to my wife, I don't say it and put it on Facebook. I turn off the mic. And I talk to my wife like a man that's been in love with her for over 40 years. Uh, you know why I do that? I want to make sure that you absolutely know that I'm absolutely crazy about that lady. Men, learn from me, okay? Husbands, I should say. <laughs> when you want to tell something, someone in something intimate that only for her or him, you call them apart. Miracles are spectacles for the public. Miracles are biblical. Miracles were used in the first century to draw attention to the Savior for transformation of people's hearts. It wasn't to empty hospitals or, or put uh, uh, funeral directors out of business. That's not what, it, not what it's about. But when you want to tell something, and what happens to us, the moment we can praise the Lord here collectively, but what about when the Lord says, come here, I need to shut off the mic and talk to you alone. Uh -huh. 
Say hallelujah if you can. The people came there not because of Jesus. They gathered uh, for the dramatic spectacle of Lazarus being put to, uh, being brought back from the death. death. And they went there pursuing that, not specifically Jesus. And, 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 and Jesus, knowing this, continued to march forth and put up with the people. It's amazing to me. Look at verse 12. Look at verse 12. The second thing I want, idea I want to bring to your mind. The first one was, you know, people gathered for the miracles, yet Jesus kept going. Look at verse 12. It says, the next day, the crowd, the great crowd that had come for the festival. You may want to outline this. Because some people, all they want to know is party, 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 party. Party on Monday, party on Tuesday, party on Wednesday, party on Friday, party, 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 party. Remember before you came to the Lord? I hope. I have nothing against partying. There's a time for partying and there's a, a time for being serious. No one gets transformed in a party. They get drunk, they get silly, they get arrested. Sometimes we think life is a big party. There's a serious aspect to life. And it says here, look at it. I'm not making it. Look at it very clearly. John is saying what he saw, reporting on what he observed, and he's saying a great crowd had God gathered for the party, the festival. That's why they gathered together. And church, we need to get beyond, if we want to be a church that is mature, a group of believers that can stand on our own two feet. We need to get beyond the, 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 the effervescent celebrations. That's wonderful. I love. But don't come here just to sweat, just to be knocked down, just to be lifted up, just to be turned around, just to be dancing all over the place. Do that. Do that. But that can't be the priority. People that party all the time can't pay their rent. People that party all the time can't spend time with their kids. People that party all the time can't be responsible and mature. People that party all the time, people get away from them. Remember when? Hallelujah. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. The church has to be go, uh, go beyond the music, beyond the singing, beyond the camar uh, camaraderie, and go to a place of fellowship, intimate fellowship with the Lord. It's about Christ and not just the celebration. And as I said a few moments ago, Easter's coming. We're going to dress up in the best that we can, and if you don't have a new outfit, come. We're going to celebrate that the outfit you have on looks fantastic on you anyway. But church needs to be a, a place. This is not a social club. Yes, you met your wife here and your husband here, and you make connections and friends forever. But we get it wrong. The whole purpose of church and, and having service is not just to sing ourselves silly and have people look at us. It really is about exalting the name of Christ. It really is about that. The people came looking for miracles and looking for parties. That's what they came for. Not Jesus specifically, but the Lord kept triumphantly entering the city, knowing that in the future... There was going to be pain. Look at verses 13, 14, and 15. Another idea I want to surface for you right now. It says that when now Jesus comes in and, and is approaching the city, people looking for Lazarus, they're looking for the party atmosphere, and it says in verse 13, they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter of, of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Listen, at the end of the service today, 
the pastors are going to help me, and we're going to distribute the, the palms. And I'm, I don't often do this, but I want to do it today, is I will be in the back, so make sure before you leave, you greet me. And if you don't greet me, I'm going to be so sad. I want you to greet me. So be in the back. But I guarantee, well, listen to me. If I go outside, it's a beautiful day. After we greet you and we hug you, we kiss you, we miss you, and all that stuff, and we have this few moments of, of fellowship in the back, and you're walking out happy with your palm. If we go outside and I stand on East Bro and I start, I guarantee you, not you, but the person that came with you, with you is going to be, what's he looking at? What is it? And it might be nothing. Why? Because we tend to follow the crowd. And if you notice here, these people that were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, very shortly their cry of celebration was going to change to crucify him. Within the same crowd, people that let themselves go by the, by the moment. The other day I was traveling to an appointment, and I'm back to using mass transit. I have a metro card, but you, can you believe it? I've seen some of you on the train, too. You've been behaving. You don't have to worry. <clears throat> I travel incognito. I make believe I'm Dwayne Johnson, so nobody knows that it's me. <laughs> I don't know what it is with Dwayne Johnson. Maybe it should be Morris Chestnut, is it? Or Denzel. I don't know. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Forget that. I'm in the subway, and... Um, and what happened is, you know, because I was just getting back into the groove of subways, the last time I was taking subways this much was when I was in college. So we're talking about, oh, I don't know, last year. <laughs> um, and so the IRT, get off on Bleecker, and, all, and that stuff kind of confused me for a moment. I don't think it's the only, I'm the only one. So for a moment, I get on the subway, and I'm going to my appointment, right, and I'm in there, and then the crowd went one way. And then as I'm following the crowd, because I thought the crowd was going with me, Oh, I thought it was my ushers that were going to take me to where I was going to go or carry me. I'm following the crowd. Then just as the train is going to get, I'm going to get into this other train. I realize, wait, it's going up to the Bronx. I'm not going there. I'm going to 23rd Street and whatever it was. And, I, and then I caught, but if I would have gone with the crowd, I would have ended up where I was not supposed to be. Oh, I'll preach that some other time. The crowd here started cheering. But Jesus is so gentle, so loving, knowing the pain of the future, he entered triumphantly, knowing that the crowd was a mixed crowd with, which, with people that genuinely said, Hosanna. He knew that some in the crowd would later change their to a chant of crucify, crucify. Nonetheless, he walked confidently moving forward. I love the fact that God puts up with us. Some of you didn't react. I'm glad that God puts up with the person sitting next to you. They're so bad, they need a lot of, not you, but they, the person next to you over here, they need a lot of Jesus. <laughs> things that we thought about, things that we said. Oh, come on, say hallelujah if you can. You know it's true. And I'm not excluded, so the, the thoughts that went into our mind. And yet the Lord continues to march triumphantly into our lives. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And so the crowd followed after him. Crowds make you behave in ways that are not even normal. You start, you go to a, a ball game and you realize, I, like, I, I, I'm not that heavily into sports, but people paint themselves. <laughs> I was telling my wife yesterday, I was watching a little bit of the, or maybe a lot of it, I don't know, Velocity Channel. I like cars, so I don't know the difference between a round ball, a football, a baseball. Or... I'm going to repeat what, what John Bicknell says. Mark, you really don't know anything about sports. 
quote unquote. I don't. But cars? Right? But cars? That, that, that I, can, I can get. But I, I marvel when I see people in these other sports, like in car, NASCAR racing, people are dignified. They don't paint themselves number 43 for Richard Petty or orange in the way of his Mopar cars that he races all over the place. You know, they don't look like a Cobra, Mustang Cobra, with a five-speed and a 427, four barrels going down with a 411 rear. A 411 rear, by the way, that's a good thing. That's the rear tire axle ratio. No. But in other sports, what's wrong with people? And you know, one time I was reading, and the guy that was painted in all these colors in a ball game of some sort was a, supposed to be a dignified doctor professor, and he was dressed like that. People lose, lose their balance. Why? Because crowds have a way of influencing us. Listen to me, a word of counsel. Don't jump because they jump. Don't go because they go. Don't stay because they stay. Don't do because they do. Whoever it is, I got suspended from school. Go, ah. Say it again. That makes it feel better. Seventh grade, hanging around with these bunch of guys that teenagers always do. Listen, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. See, Luce believes me and Pastor E believes me. I did not do it. I did, honestly did not do it. I know what they did, but they threatened me that if I said anything, I was not going to be alive today. So I, was, I lived in the projects and was raising Lower East Side, so you, know, you don't say anything. So if I'm guilty of anything, it's not saying anything. But I did not do it. So when they asked me, did you see? I, no hablo inglés. <laughs> but because I was hanging out, we all got suspended. Seventh grade, the only time I was ever kicked out of school. Big mistake the Board of Education did in suspending me. Big mistake. Big mistake. I still have a scar. Here it is 40 years later. I'm still dealing with it. I'm in therapy still for medication. My point is following the crowd, and, as, and you know it's true, some of you got into trouble and stuff in the past simply because they did. And if you would have thought a moment, stopped for a moment, you wouldn't have done that because that messed it up or stopped your growth or stopped your development. Come on, you know it's true. Say amen for somebody else because you know it's true. Amen. Experimentation, a bunch of other, other things. I won't even go into details. We can go into details when you sit down with us. But they followed the crowd. And they, yes, they were screaming that. But the Lord triumphantly was entering the city, moving forward, knowing the painful future that was ahead. We need to be careful with the crowd. Follow after the Lord. I'm not, let me get a little bit personal about me. I'm not enamored with title or position. 16 years old, I gave my heart to the Lord. 16 years old. That's when I, I made a commitment to the Lord. There have been bumps, and sometimes I've embarrassed God, and I've offended God, and all I straight back and forth. But I've never, ever, ever left the Lord. Gone from one church. We were in Brooklyn at that time when we worshiped in another church here in Lower Manhattan, and then came here. But never the Lord. Never in my mind has the thought entered my mind of walking away. Never. And some people, you take their seat, and right away, they want to go to Mars. You don't greet them. Oh, he didn't greet me. He didn't say hello. He didn't wave at me. Oh, come on. We've got to get to a place where we grow up and be a little stronger. How can we take the city, listen to me, how can we take the city or how can we handle what God is doing in this house already? The wave of blessing and growth, if we're so fragile, 
Some people are not going to greet you. Some people are not going to hold your seat. Some people are going to talk about you. Some individuals don't like you. But he doesn't like you. He loves you. Come on. Hallelujah. Loves you. Even with our last mess up, he still loves us. Even in those moments where, where the ground underneath our feet has, uh, has been shaken because of a trial, a tribulation, a loss, a hit in our lives, we're still following after the Lord. Follow the Lord and don't follow the crowd. Come on, praise the Lord with me for a moment. So we see the people were looking for miracles. The people were looking for a party. The people were following the crowd. But you know what's even sadder? If you look at verse 16, it says, at first, his disciples did not understand all this. So my, my, the next observation is, they were ignoring their destiny. I, 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 have a, I had a hard time with this point on, because of this. The text renders it exactly. It says, disciples. This was not newcomers. This was not newly arrived people. These were individuals that saw Jesus do miracles, that saw Jesus uh, uh, perform incredible feasts, that saw Jesus confront the intelligent people of the world, the religious people of the world. These were his disciples. And yet they had not been able to connect the dots or discern the moment. I'm going to go to discernment in a moment. Uh, discern the moment in a moment. They couldn't discern the moment. They were so caught up in the euphoria of the moment of the celebration, of the party, of the miracle of Lazarus, of the crowd that was so caught up in that, that they missed it for a moment and they could not discern what was going on. It says clearly in the text that the disciples did not understand. If you go to the original, it's saying that they were in a moment of perplexity or confusion or, oh, uh, what's going on here? They couldn't connect the dots. And church, you, need, you and I need to get to a place in our walk with God and our maturity with the Lord, in our place with God, that it is above religiosity. It is above title, and we need to be able to discern the moments in our lives which need to be discernible. There are messages that may not apply to you, but there are messages that do. And you need to be sharp enough to understand, that's God confronting me. And then don't just say, God confronted me. What do I need to do now to change? Is it the same as last year? Is it the same as the year before? Have you really been transformed in the five years you've been here, six years have you been here? Are you the same person and something is wrong? We need to be on this growth pattern with God where we allow the Holy Spirit to come in. And the mistakes we made last year, the mistakes that we made two years ago, we don't repeat them again. Otherwise, it's lunacy. Amen. Come on, praise the Lord with me. <laughs> discernment. Discernment is that I'm able to... This is, you don't take a course on discernment. You don't get a graduate degree on discernment. Discernment, I believe, is a spiritual gift that God allows you to be able to look beyond the natural and understand the implications of what you're seeing and experiencing and sensing and overlay it into the future. And then you make decisions based on that overlay, which then requires faith. Did you follow me? It's being able to get a sense of a conversation you have with someone. It's like when you're, and I remember growing up, my mom would say, or my, mainly my mom would say, I don't know about that friend, but I don't like him. But mom, why? Why don't you give me the, I don't know, but I don't like him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, moms have a way of looking around corners. They, they can see what you don't see, but the, oh, it's you always complaining about the same person, my friends. You just don't like any of my friends. No, I love you, but I don't like what I'm sensing about that person. Come on, moms, you can say hallelujah. hallelujah. There's like a wiggle in your body that's telling you, mm, no. And the worst part is, you go and you do it, you fall flat on your face, and then you don't have the guts to go, mom, you know, you were right. I was so dumb. I wasn't thinking. 
And all I'm saying is we need to use that kind of skill that's developed through a prayerful life that, 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 that comes by women. We saw him first by, by, by the men, Spanish men this morning praying here. By two weeks ago, the, the, the Spanish women's praying here in the front. By prayer, you get the sense of discernment and you know which way to go because you're able to balance the moment and you don't let yourself go by the whims of the times. Most of the mistakes we make in relationships and in the decisions we make in life are simply because we went with it. There's nothing wrong with putting the brakes and say, ho, 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 hold on a minute, hold on a minute. You don't have to say yes right away. Let me think about this. Let me see. Now, you can't be thinking forever. <clears throat> there comes a moment where you have to open the oven, take out the cake, and eat the cake. No, that's a bad example for me, but you know what I mean. I'm trying to stay away from sweets. Huh? They ignored. They, it says, and they should have known better. That's why... Judgment comes stronger on those that should have known better. And the disciples should have known, discerned the moment, yet they missed it because of the miracles, because of the party, because of the crowd. They said they couldn't understand the moment, and they only saw it afterwards. You, you know what happens. You, you end up landing this job, and all of a sudden nine people show up and says, you know, God showed me that about you. What? It's easy to tell me now, but when I was battling through it before, why don't you, if God told you? You ever notice, that's why prophets don't show up after the fact. A prophet is not after the fact, it's before, because prophecy requires a step of faith. And a step of faith means I don't know, I don't have any evidence, tangible evidence, but I sense, I believe, I discern that this is the way to go. I always knew you were meant for each other. You didn't know that. You just at the moment said something. Oh, come on. Hallelujah. Is this too much for you? It's true. It's true. You step back and weigh. If I followed every quote-unquote prophetic utterance in my life, I wouldn't be here. Years, years ago, when we first got married, somebody prophesied over me and said to, to me, you have to leave everything and follow after me. Leave your wife and your kids. I said, what? Church, didn't you just see me go over and whisper some, some into her ears? What? That's not God. You got to discern the moment. Discern the moment if you're going to move to a warmer climate. Discern the moment if you're going to uh, get into a bigger apartment, a smaller apartment. Discern the moment if you're going to get another job. Discern, just because it shines doesn't mean it's gold. And you know what? It might be beneficial and tick off all the boxes, pays more money, less hours, and everything else, but it might be super hell in there for the time that you're there. Oh, come on, say praise the Lord if you can. Hallelujah. They were all, they didn't realize, and they were going to realize afterwards, but not at the moment. And you know, really, when you're going through stuff and you're facing things, you need people by your side that will be with you in that moment. They, they lost their minds in the triumphant celebration, the disciples. They lost their bearing in what was going on. That's why, a, a word to the wise on, on leadership. When someone tells you you've done a good job, be careful the way you internalize that kind of information. You can get into places of entitlement and says, I did. No, no, no. That, that should humble you more. You sang that song, boy. You blew it out of the park. Nobody sings like you. Watch it. Watch it. Because very quickly that could feed our ego. And it can take us to place, not just here in church, but even at work. Do the best that you can at work. Uh, try to reach the top, of, uh, the epitome of what you can reach in your job. But keep everything in balance. You're just as good as the next mistake that you make. 
Hallelujah. So I'm speaking from experience. Listen to me closely. Keep things in balance. I'm not saying do this soup. Oh, no, it's just, oh, you know, it's no, don't tell me I was good. No, 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 you're, you're good. But don't build on that too much because what's going to happen, the enemy's just waiting for your ego to get soft and get raw, for your self-control to be vulnerable, and then he's going to have a hook in your life, and then he's going to pull it at the strategic moment when he can do the most damage to you and the people that are following after you. Oh, who am I talking to? Leaders, listen to me closely. You keep it humble. We're going to have a, we're going to have a consecration service coming up to it on the 22nd. You need to be here. It's going to be a big service. But that is not a, pros, a place of, of graduation. It is a place where we need to now be subjected to the Lord. It's, a, it's not actually a, a place of standing up on a podium. I've reached a high height. It's actually a place of throwing yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, here I am, a humble servant before the Lord. Come on, you can praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But that's not just to our team. We got a great team that we've did. We have a fantastic team, as a matter of fact. But it's to keep that in check. Yes, I want to I I hear how you were impressed, but how you in turn is not so. Look at it this way, you know. I love fried pork chops. Did I just make you hungry? Some of you said, Pastor, hurry up. White rice and beans, maduros. Woo. Put the rice in a piñon con la the garlic. Woo! I love tres leches cake. Don't make me any. Doctor told me no more. But listen, listen to me. Listen to me. I can walk into a banquet and they have a spread of fried pork chops the way I like it. White rice and beans, more sauce than beans. Fried bananas, and then tres leches with my name on it. That is not the problem. The problem is if I internalize the pork chops. That's the only way you can internalize it. I internalize that spread that's on there. Same thing in life. Same thing in life. You, the Bible talks about it. There's, you have a right to everything, but not everything is good for you. To paraphrase. You have a right to everything, but not everything is good for you. And you need to be discerning. On what you follow, and they got caught up in this moment, triumphant moment, ignoring the destiny, ignoring the pain. They, they got caught up in the celebration. The true meaning of, the, of Christ was lost in the party atmosphere. But in the crowd, my final observation, then I'm going to go to the conclusion. In the crowd, not only were there, uh, were, were there people looking for Lazarus, the miracle, hungry people, the addicted miracle people, not only those that wanted to party all the time, not, all, not only those that got caught up in the crowd of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not, not only the disciples who ignored what they, were, they should have been sensing, but if you look at verses 17 through 19, there was a, a group of people in there, and I believe the remnant that God is trying to reach. Look at the verse 17. It says, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus, they were aware of Lazarus coming out of the tomb, and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. And underline the, the, the part of the text that says, many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went to meet him. And in, 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 in some versions it says, went and surrendered to the Lord. In the crowd. And so church, I understand here in a crowd like this, and in, in an average crowd, not just this one, I'm not just singling out, some uh, are here for different motives. Maybe you saw somebody cute last Sunday and you're back this Sunday. 
You don't really like the way I preach, but you like the way she walks down the aisles. <laughs> Is this too much for you? It's only real life. Huh? I don't need to know. I don't want to know. He knows. He's the best usher. Anyway, let me get off that point. Back up. But in the crowd, there's people that are looking for the miracles, looking for this, looking for that. They have different agendas, but also in the crowd, there are people like today that genuinely hunger after the Lord. Not religion. Not an exercise of do's and don'ts. But rather genuinely want to get into a relationship with God and find that spiritual balance that they're seeking that they have not found somewhere else or in something else. And in that crowd, there was a group of people. They, yes, they heard about Lazarus. They were happy about Lazarus and coming out of the tomb. But they wanted Jesus. They had seen the crowd do what they did. Hosanna, Hosanna. And that's wonderful. The party is great. But they wanted Jesus. They even got caught up in the moment of, a, of the euphoria of the celebration. And they did. Stand up, sit down, sing, clap. All the rituals that we do. But they were really about Jesus. And church, what I want you to get here today is let your life be driven by a hunger for the Lord. Let everything that you do be a hunger for the Lord. Let the fuel that moves you forward to a life of blessing and a life of promotion be that hunger that you have for the Lord. Not swayed here or there because of man, woman, program. Programs come and programs go, but the Lord will always be the same, waiting to reach out to you, waiting to help you. Even if there's no activity, you can't get discouraged because things aren't happening. A lot happened on the cross of Calvary when the Lord reached out for you and for me. And we could keep it there. Some people need to always be active. That's okay. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that in our relationship with God, it doesn't matter whether songs are sung on key, off key, five people come or 500 come. It doesn't matter. I have decided to follow Jesus. Because of him. He becomes your priority. He becomes the one that you want in the center of your life. Which is small, but Jesus, you're the center of mine, right? Center of my life. Let him be the center. He wants to be involved, intricately involved in everything that you do in your living. So in that crowd, there was a group of people that were hungry after the Lord. Many people, they had heard that he had performed the miracles, and they went out to see him. But what happens? Whenever you have a driving hunger more for God, someone's going to tell you something. And it says here that the Pharisees said to one another, see, this gathering is, go is getting us nowhere. They had an agenda, so their agenda wasn't being satisfied. So for them, it was a failure. But lives were being transformed, and that's the difference. Look at the, he says, look how the whole world has gone after him. Isn't it true? The moment you want to do right, you have nine people that tell you about all the things you should be doing. The moment you say, I'm not going to party like that anymore, I'm going to change my life, all of a sudden you get nine invitations. Yeah. Come on, it's the truth. And then the, half of those are people from church. <laughs> That's too much truth for you? Hallelujah. But when you follow after the Lord, I, I have disciplines in my life that perhaps you don't want, and you don't want to have. That's cool. But my disciplines are this. You know, I don't get it, and I practice this one, and you may say, oh, he's so, he's legal. I, maybe I'm legalistic, but it keeps me walking straight. It keeps me sane and balanced. So you go to my house, there's no drinking, no smoking. No. 
When I go with people, if they want, you do what you need to do. At the end of the day, you got to render account to God. But me, no. Why? Am I going to beat somebody on the head? No, I need to give render account to God. And I know what is good for me and not good for me. Are you following me? For many, I told you the last preaching, many years in our home, in fact, even till this day, we have, I like watching NASCAR. You have to have a nice TV to watch NASCAR. You have to have good sound to so I have that. But I don't have HBO, MBO, PPO, OO. You know it. ESPN, WXPN, WXYZ. I also don't have all the religious channels because some of them aren't worth watching. Right? My point is because if you let garbage come in, and only you know. So I'm not going to go to your house and judge you. You judge yourself. But I know what's good for me. I love pork chops. You might be able to eat them. It doesn't affect your cholesterol. I eat pork chops. I love them. Haven't had them in a long time. Can you see I'm repeating it a lot in the sermon? I'm just twitching because I miss my chuletas. But I know. Same thing in my walk with the Lord. And, and, and church, it is not about more prayer or more anointing with oil. I'm going to call you up in a few moments for prayer. No, you have to make a decision. I am not going there anymore. It is just not good for me. Forget about what the, in a moment, forget about what the, the Bible says yes or no. It is just not good for you. Period. And yet we entertain it. Some came genuinely to receive him. There are always some people who are sincerely seeking after God, but then there are a whole group of other people that want to knock you down. Instead of being blessers, they're blasters. Instead of lifting you up, they're tearing you down. The moment you want to get consecrated before the Lord, or, or you changed since they gave you that title, you changed. Well, what do you expect? I behave a little bit different. I walk around a little bit different when I have my jeans, my, 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 my exercise shorts on, and my sneakers. I have like a... Oh no. What? <laughs> got my sneakers on. I know I'm dating my, you know, the cons. And when I'm dressed like this, a whole different. You know why? People also treat you differently. If I travel like this, one time we were traveling on a plane, and we were, my, well, how, how else would you fly? It has to be on a plane, right? We were flying somewhere, and we were dressed very casually, my wife and I. And somebody came up. You must have been praying for us when we were traveling that time, because they came up and said, we're going to bump you to first class. That's nice. That's a nice. I'll take that blessing any day. <laughs> and so we were there. They saw my wife because she's always glamorous and looks. For, and they said, we're going to bump you. And then my wife says, my husband is with me. So they, they already put us, but I was over there looking at NASCAR magazines. And, the, and so she says, my husband is with me. And the guy looks at me when he saw me. Too bad. So I walked <laughs> into first class. What? <laughs> But I've also traveled like this in coach. And even though I'm in coach, they treat me, well, not like first class, but they treat me differently. They speak to me differently in full sentences and no grunts. And, huh, huh. <laughs> Sir, can I help you? <laughs> Got to be careful, church. Got to carry yourself in a different way. If we are children of light, we need to behave as such. We have to carry ourselves in a much different way. And we can't let people sway us one way or another. Someone will always say something. He means more than miracles. He means more than partying. He means more than following the crowd. He means more than me ignoring my destiny. He means more than anything around. But the point of the sermon is this. 
he knew all that while he's sitting on this animal of burden, marching in triumphantly. Yet, he still did it. He knew going into this, to the city that what lay ahead was pain, suffering, a cross. He knew coming into the city of the, what I just described, and at the end of this journey, what made him go forward, he knew the future was painful. He could see the cross. He could see and hear his father just reject him because he personified. He became sin. Sin became incarnate in him, laid upon him. He knew that God was going to dump his wrath on him on the cross for our justification. He knew that. But you know what helped him get through or what motivated him, the gasoline that motivated him to go triumphantly to a place of pain? Listen to this. He saw the cross. He saw the pain. He saw being despised and broken. But he also saw my face. Your face. We can stand. Your face. Your face. Your face. Our face. So what motivated him was not a masochistic drive for pain. It was love. Love pushed him to march triumphantly because he saw you. And he sees you today, right here in this place. I don't know where you've been, what you've done, and I'm really not interested. I just know that Christ's, Christ loves you, we love you, and we want to be partners in your transformation. But it comes, as we have just studied in this text, in us pushing aside miracles and what I need and what I want, and saying, Lord, I want you to be the priority over my life. I'm going to receive you in my heart and in my life. I want you to come in and transform me and make me new.